Welcome everyone back to the Wellness Wisdom Podcast. We are so glad that you are here with us this week. We've got lots of new topics to discuss today. Um, Before we get started, I just want to remind you that everything that you hear on this podcast is for educational purposes only. Before making any changes to your health, please have a discussion with your licensed medical professional. All right, so today for coaches, we have um, our coaches, Jane Phillips, Kathy Riley, Bobby McGrath, and we have a new coach joining us today, Tracy Guerrero. Hey, everyone. How is everyone doing today? Doing well. Doing well. Thank you. Very well. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here with Like Minds. All right. Well, let's get started. I'm so excited for the topics that we are discussing today. Bobby, how about you get us started? You were doing some research on exercise and brain health. So what have you got for us today? Well, all of us health coaches have to do continuing education. And um, I, this past week, was working on um, part of my continuing education, and it was uh, your exercise on brain, or your brain on exercise. Sorry about that. Um, And it was really interesting because it, it, it just was one of those things that we all know exercise is good for us. But when you sit down and you learn a lot about what happens to the brain while you're exercising... I was kind of like, you know what, a lot of people need to know this because a lot of people think about the weight, right? And what your body looks like, but I'm a brain person. I love brain science. And I wanted to share a little bit um, of information with you all and see what you guys thought about it too. Um, One of the things that there was a a factoid that was a, a screen that I saw that I took a shot of that said that in 2020, there's about 41 million people they're impacted either by early onset Alzheimer's or late onset Alzheimer's. It's about 50% of both. But by 2050, if we keep on with this, um, the trajectory that we're having um, of diagnosing it, we're going to be at 77 million. Instead of 41 million, we're going to be at 77 million people that are going to be impacted by Alzheimer's. And that's just one um, disease under the dementia uh, umbrella. So Alzheimer's, there's a bunch of other different dementias, but that's just Alzheimer's. And so when I was diving into the information, it talked a little bit about your brain volume and it talked all kinds of different scientific things. But what if, what it really told me was when you engage in exercise and that's getting out of breath and sweating, which a lot of people don't like to do, you are actually improving your brain volume which is what happens when you are actually aging, you're losing brain cells, you're losing brain volume, and you're also improving the structures of your brain. You're making your brain work and connect better with the neurons. And one of the things they talked about was, especially if you're gonna be working with um, an aged population of people in exercise, making sure they are working on balance and strength and flexibility but also doing exercises that require you to follow direction. So a lot of people really struggle and avoid going to like, let's say, or taking a yoga class or going to a class like a a dance class. Before we went on air, we were talking about somebody learning to line dance. I won't call you out, but, um, you know, those kinds of things make your brain think using your left brain and your right brain and, and following directions and figuring out, you know, when they say put your right hand over here and your left, you know, leg over there, 
all of that goes into actually improving and keeping your brain and your brain reserves. So I just want to, you know, people to realize that when you're working out, it's not just to get the big muscles and to, you know, lose weight around your waist and things like that, but it's actually improving your brain volume and how your brain works. I think that is so important to point out because we were just talking about this the other day, you know, as far as our age, you know, the super centurions and the centurions and the things that they do to keep the, not just their physical self younger, feeling younger, but their brain younger and the acuity level up too. So I'm so glad that you brought that kind of science back to us today to help further that conversation from our last episode. I think it's really important. And those numbers are staggering. And that was just Alzheimer's. Yeah. And my mom passed of Alzheimer's at 74 years old. And I think, you know, I'm 57. I don't want to be gone in, you know, 17 years or so. I, I want to be mm -hmm. around and I want to actually be. And, and it wasn't like 74. She passed away. She was gone probably for 10 years. So we're talking yeah. 64. And we started noticing things probably in her late 50s, early 60s um, that I didn't know what I know now. Um, and it was hard for us because it was like, why, why are these things happening? And I'm not talking about losing your keys and not finding things. It was just this little or big change in her behavior as far as just not being able to be in the world and handle things and, you know, stuff like that. So when, you know, things started getting pretty bad at home, it was, it was difficult to watch and see. And I, I would, I would, you know, caution people that when, you know, the brain is starting to fade, there are things you can still do. We talked a little bit about, um, you know, the different brain training out there. And um, any, anybody who's ever been through trauma has, has also needs to work on their brain health and things like that. But Alzheimer's is one of those things that even though genetically, I know I had my 23andMe done, I know I have some of the genetic signs of it. I'm bound and determined to save every little ounce of my brain volume I can by the things that I do, you know, and I hope that people take that information and, you know, go get educated. On it. Yeah, I agree. And I think like my dad was in Vietnam and he has PTSD from Vietnam and we've been noticing early onset dementia for the last three or four years with him. And so I come in that same boat and Kathy, I'm sure you are too, because you have an aging dad of, you know, is this something that's going to happen to us? And we know, as we talked about the other day, it's only 20% genetics. The rest is your lifestyle, right? And what you're actively doing. My dad is a smoker. He has PTSD from Vietnam. You know, his, um, some of my, our other family members, same thing. Like they, they're going down the road of hitting that early dementia as well because they don't take care of their body. They smoke, they drink, like all of these different things. And I sit here and go, like you, I don't, I don't want to be hitting that road in 15 years, 20 years. Like what can we do now to take care of it? And yeah, you know, exercise, I think is the last thing we think of for sure. Well, and PTSD is a real thing. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not just, you know, I, anybody that returns from, you know, battle or war or been someplace where they've seen things they've, they've got work to do. It's not a question of, did you suffer? You suffered. It just depends about, you know, 
the intensity of it. Um, once I figured out that I had mold toxicity, I actually went to a doctor who had um, me do a brain MRI. Um, and it, I was a little nervous to do it. It was not fun because they stick you in an MRI. And not only do you go in there, but you have this cage around your face. And I kind of had to psych myself up to do it. But it turned out from the mold toxicity and from a lot of things that I was not handling well in my life with stress and grief, I had a ton of grief um, prior to being exposed heavily by mold. I actually showed up as having severe PTSD. And wow. when you see that on a report and you see it glowing red, which the doctor wasn't looking for that, he was looking for how much damage had gone on with the mold in my brain. And he's like, well, your brain shrank in five different places. And oh, by the way, you have severe PTSD. That Those are not things when you are, you know, early 50s that you want to hear about your health. Bobby, um, I'm curious. Um, do you know where that mold toxicity sourced from? Or I do, yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah, it was at a residence and um, I didn't know that it was was that way. And I got exposed to it. I had been getting exposed to it. And so when I went into the crawl space, it, I didn't realize. And um, it just hit me like a Mack truck. And unfortunately, it was at the same time I had was kind of going into menopause. So there was already um, a stressor on my body with menopause. And then um, I'd also precursored that with a bunch of high stress situations in my life. Um, a lot of grief from losing people um, and just situations that were going on um, that I wasn't handling well, just because it was one thing after another, unfortunately. So yeah, I did know where the mold came from. And fortunately, once I found out, um, we were able to take care of the situation. But knowing that your brain is on fire, which is what that basically told me, I had, a, I had choices to make. And what's great about that is I have come a long way. I don't think I could be on a podcast or be a, a, a health coach or doing the things that I'm doing had I not taken care of business and worked really hard on detoxifying. Mm -hmm. well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I was just curious because so many people don't know where the mold exposure <clears throat> might have come from, might have surfaced. I'm, I'm really lucky because a lot of people don't. You're right. And a lot of people don't tie their health issues in their fifties and sixties or forties or whatever back to something that happened to them as a child. Like my basement flooded as a kid. So I know I, I had mold exposure probably as a child growing up. Um, and because I have a genetic, when they check my genes, I have a gene that makes me not the best detoxifier on top of it. <clears throat> it, it turns out that it was building up in me in quite a while. So I don't think that the exposure that I got in the crawl space where the mold was, was the only thing that impacted me. I think it was the straw that broke the camel's back. I think we all have some form of <laughs> mold exposure throughout our lifetime. Um, whether we're, we're testing for it or not, we can be pretty sure with our environment and what's going on right now in our world that that is something that all of us should probably take a look at. Yep, I agree closely. Yeah, I'm, I have to chime in here because I didn't realize that they could actually an MRI could show you that you have PTSD. It's actually called a genie. It's, it's, it's an acronym for something. It's genetic, environmental, something, something I should know, but I don't. Um, but yeah, that was not what he was looking for. 
but um, it, you can. It was surprising. Okay. I was not ready to have him deliver that information to me when he did, but I was happy to know it. Yeah. So, uh, Shannon, you might be able to pop into this. Is it similar to Dr. Amen's um, work? Yeah, that that's, what I was, okay. that's what I was going to say is it sounds like it's very similar to a SPECT scan. Okay. And so it may just be a different brand of it is. It's, it's a newer, it's a, the Genie's probably only, to my knowledge, been out maybe like five years, maybe um, I have, would have to go do my research, but it's, it's something that um, it measures different. So there's an MRI in your brain and then there's a Genie and there's different things. Neuroquant is another word that they use with the MRIs. So that measures the volume and different things in your brain. Um, so there's definitely things you can do scanning the brain to, to see what your baseline is. I'm sure that was so scary to even be laying there knowing that they were taking those pictures because getting those results. Yeah. That a lot of things are going to have to change and, and be done to correct. Yes. I, I, I actually remember sitting across from the provider cause it was in, um, it was during pretty deep time COVID time. And I actually went in for a, a personal visit versus a zoom visit. And I remember starting, you know, having tears. Like I, I wasn't prepared for you to tell me my brain shrank in five places and that I have severe PTSD. Not that I couldn't have probably guessed, but when you hear the word severe, you're like, okay, what's that mean? So. Well, but you can't even guess that your brain is shrinking. Like who thinks about the fact of what they're doing on a daily basis or something that's affecting them from the environment is literally shrinking spaces in their brain. People don't consider that. They don't think about that on a normal basis. They don't. But the one thing I will tell people that maybe you're kind of thinking about this whole situation is that's why sleep is so, so, so important for you to get enough sleep and to get restorative sleep. Because one of the things that happens to our brain when we go to sleep is it actually um, shrinks, not in the way that we've been talking, but it actually gets smaller so that you can let the... Um, the plug out of your drain in your brain so that the fluid that's been building up all day and kind of bathing your brain and the plaques and the proteins that are not healthy for your brain, that all can get flushed out of your brain. Called your, it's called your glymphatic system. So when it's flushing your brain and you're sleeping, it's bathing your brain, it's cleaning it, and it's draining out through your spinal fluid and down through your lymphatic system. That's why sleep not only is good for you to, to not wake up crabby, but it's actually the time that your brain is cleaning itself. And I also want to go back to, I think we were talking about the last time, you know, the lymphatic system and the movement and exercise. And that's part of the reason that it's so important to the brain, because if your lymph's not moving, it's all, you know, the glymph system, the glymphatic system is, is just stagnating there. So that's another reason it's so important to, to get moving. Um, I actually live in a retirement area. And we have many, many people here that are, you know, 70, 80, 90 years old, and you can see a huge difference between the people, you know, who are barely walking with their cane and other people, you know, the same age riding around on their bicycles, you know. Um, so there is, you can make a difference by just get up off your behind and go for a walk. I mean, start with a walk, 10 minute walk, um, and then move from there. But yeah, it's so important to keep moving. And it's interesting you brought this up because I was just listening to um, Huberman podcast, I don't know, a couple of days ago, and he was specifically discussing the anterior cingulate cortex area of the brain. And he said 
that's an area of the brain that likes to lean into a challenge, like a difficult challenge. And it could be something as simple as like learning a new language or having a difficult conversation with somebody that you've been putting off. Um, people who maintain obviously healthy cognitive function, memory and IQ, um, well into their later decades are people who are constantly challenging that specific area of the brain, which I found fascinating. Um, I'm always trying to play the the brain games and there's so many apps. And Shannon, you mentioned something the other day that I actually wrote down that I'm interested in looking at. It's probably pretty costly right now. Wasn't it some sort of headband or something that you wear? Yeah. It's like, you know, you're familiar with the muse band for meditation, yeah. you know, and this is very similar. And so it's literally, instead of just one band that goes behind the head, it has one that goes over too. And it actually has these little foam pads that act like an EEG does so that it can sense the brain waves that are mm -hmm. happening. So it literally can give you minute by minute detection of how, the neurons are reinteracting and those brain waves are reforming and growing in certain areas in certain wow. ways, depending on the challenges that you are facing. So that goes right along with what he was talking about challenging your brain, because it comes with an app that challenges the different areas of your brain that it senses needs growth. Right. Um, right. Yeah. It's pretty expensive right now. Um, it just came out. It's just, it's new on the market. I think it's like $1,500. Um, so it's pretty expensive right now, but you know, if someone has something like a health savings account, right, like they can use money in that health savings account to purchase something, you know, something they're interested in or have an aging parent, you know, that they're wanting to do some of this, um, technology with. And my understanding in my, uh, in our family, we have someone who has vascular dementia and going to the doctor to do different tests and also doing it virtual um, stuff with this person as well. So my understanding is kind of what they're doing. It's like neurofeedback. This can do the same thing at home in one tool. So, you know, being able to bring all of these different types of new technology and, and tests and challenging and stuff like neurofeedback and stuff like that into the home to me is fascinating in it and we're going in the right direction. Well, my dad actually had vascular dementia too. So I've kind of got two, two, you know, two strikes against me and it's different than Alzheimer's. He knew who we were. He knew, you know, what was going on around him, but he, it was like he had glue in his brain. I yeah. guess it's the best way to say it. It just, his processing speed was so slow. So he had vascular dementia and, but he also had um, a quintuple bypass um, in his early, late, I think he was 69. And so I thought, you know, here's this person who walked with his dog on the golf course and, you know, kept himself moving. But later in his life, you know, not only they had to clean out his, they can clean out his arteries, but they can't go clean out his brain. Right. And so that was one of the things that I think he could have been, he lived to 83. Um, he could have been so much further down the road with his dementia. If he didn't walk the golf course with his dog and things like that, he could have probably, you know, gone a lot earlier than he did. So there is a way to, like I said, clean up the system and by sleeping and doing the things like lowering your toxin load, you can actually improve your brain volume. And one of the things that it mentioned when I was looking at the research is that the hippocampus, which is part of um, 
a memory system in your brain and there's an amygdala, which is your emotional part of your brain, when you exercise aerobically and that's getting your heart rate up and sweating, you can actually improve the volume in your hippocampus so that your memory stays longer. You can remember things as you age better than somebody who isn't out and moving. And I want to speak to something um, in a moment. I'm going to let Jane go first because she's she's got something she wants to reply with um, as far as the heart issue that your dad had and brain health as well, something we've noticed in, in one of our loved ones. Go ahead, Jane. Okay, so... Many of us in the northern regions and such, uh, we're experiencing seasonal affective disorder this time of year, right? So uh, that caught my eye when I did a little bit of research. And so I want to just kind of touch on some little interesting facts about the top three states that experience most seasonal affective disorder. And I um, probably will have the link available for those who want to uh, take a look further. And so based on the uh, average amount of sunlight, temperatures, rainfall, humidity, Alaska, no surprise, right, is ranked number one with average temperatures of negative 2.9 Celsius. So for those of us that are feeling a little chilly, put that in perspective, right? <laughs> um, they also have on average only 358 hours of sun during the winter the least clear days and highest relative humidity. Um, and so the other states that are following in order are New York. Yay me, I live in New York. And Washington followed by Vermont and then Michigan. So uh, another interesting stat is SAD affects nearly 13 million adults. And the low mood generally starts in autumn it makes sense, right? Everything, all the trees are losing their leaves and everything, and the days are getting shorter, the days are getting cooler. And so that impacts our circadian rhythms, which is our body's internal clock. So everything kind of gets thrown off, right? And so that's a double whammy because we have a decrease in serotonin and then the melatonin, uh, the serotonin being the feel-good hormone, whereas the melatonin will help you get some sleep. And so throughout that uh, process, you can experience low mood, sluggishness. You can lose interest in activities that you norm normally would enjoy doing. Um, you can oversleep. You can carb cravings, overeat. You can have a little bit of weight gain. Uh, difficulty concentrating, feel hopeless, or wanting actually at the far end, wanting to check out from life. Uh, so these are things that you want to address, especially if these are consistently um, part of your lifestyle. You know, you just really, you can't really feel like you can get a handle on it. Um, so the study also claims that family history can contribute to it uh, as well in terms of low vitamin D levels. I myself experienced low vitamin D, so that's a, a double whammy for me. Um, it can also happen, SAD can also happen during the, the transition, not only from fall to winter, but from spring to summer too, because you have that lovely daylight savings time. And so our bodies are trying to adjust. So I think it's important that if, if you're steadily living in one of the areas that were mentioned, uh, and you're more prone to seasonal affective disorder. Um, some helpful hints may be to just try to 
proactively think ahead of time, well, how I know this, this is coming. So what can I do to, um, you know, uh, help my lifestyle in terms of being ready for these seasonal changes. And there's, you know, you could get a sun lamp, you could take vitamin D, um, you can uh, keep yourself busy throughout the winter, winter. And I especially uh, suggest to anybody who has a hard time getting outside, just uh, work towards uh, little increments just, you know, build up to your time that you can, can tolerate being out in the cold and, uh, always, always, always consider, uh, getting help from a holistic health coach, or if the need be, you could also seek out help from a, a therapist. And, um, the last thought I had was circling back. I also wonder what the whole daylight saving times thing is actually doing to us. Should it be eliminated? Uh, so I want to know what everyone's thoughts are around that as well. I would definitely agree with the daylight savings time crap. I mean, yeah, who who in the right mind ever came up with thought for ourselves? We just turn the clocks back. We'll gain an hour, and and it was more for productivity of work time. And I think it's just it's stupid. It's completely stupid. Um, you know, when we think about the circadian rhythm, right, and we think about the seasons that we have. Originally, you know, before this crazy work, work, work society that we live in, right? Like the winter time was after the harvest, you know, things were getting darker earlier, right? Like it was a time for rest, the focus on rest and staying inside and doing things that were inside, you know, maybe you go out to the bar and you took care of the animals and things like that. But, you know, it was for focusing on rest. And I think that's what is really difficult for people in today's society is because we have that work, work, work mentality. Our bodies are literally telling us to rest. Like that's what they are created for. Seasonally, they go along with the seasons, whether we choose consciously to or not. Our bodies are still going along with the seasons and, and, and that's by design. So when we don't realize this, and that's where a lot of the depression comes in and the seasonal affective disorder, there are some genetic things to go with it along as well too, right? Like not getting enough vitamin because we're not out in the sun enough. Um, but a majority is because we're in just go, go, go society. Um, I know one of the things that's always been suggested to me and like my mom, it was suggested for her because she had seasonal affective disorder. Um, she was very nutrient deficient, even though she got out and she walked every day. She just, her body could not keep up with making as much vitamin D as she needed. So it was suggested to her to get a sunlight lamp um, that she could be under, you know, 20, 30 minutes a day. Um, and again, it, like you said, Jane, it depends on where you live on how much sun you can get. And, you know, Kathy's in Florida. She can get a lot more sun than we can up here in, in the Midwest, top of the Midwest, like Michigan, Indiana, Illinois. Right. Um, so yeah. I have a happy light. I get my happy light out at, you know, especially I don't have sad. I don't have seasonal affective disorder, but I definitely have that, you know, you string, you know, three, four or five days of, of the gloom and doom, gray skies, no sun kind of thing in a row. And my body's just like, where is the sun? I actually walked the other day. We've had a really, really, really cold spell, but I walked outside just to get outside because the sun finally came back out. Um, so I think that if you know that, if you're aware that you kind of go into those places, a happy light's great. You just sit there, it sits off to the side. You don't shine, shine it right on you, but I'll just do work 
turn it on for about 15 minutes. You don't need a ton of it, um, but it just helps produce that. And then the other free thing that's really great is easy to do is go watch a sunset or get up and watch a sunrise. Those are excellent for sad disorders because they are the, the frequencies that are in the sunrise colors and the sunset colors are what your body needs so that it can kind of recalibrate itself. The blue yellow spectrums. Yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like I could possibly be an expert on this because I live in Oregon. <laughs> 285 to 290 days of a cloud cover. I'm sitting here looking out my window. It's pouring down rain. Um, and it will tomorrow and the next day and next week and next month. So, um, I definitely feel like it as I've aged that I've started to experience seasonal depressive disorder or sad seasonal disorder. So this, we were talking about preparing for that. So this year I kind of, I was in Texas for two years and I came back in August and I'm like, I am not ready for an Oregon winter, right? I just, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. Texas had so much sun and it has hit me hard this year. Um, Coming from it and then going into it again, being away from it for a while, I realized just how much of an effect it does have on your mood. Um, just wanting to curl up and cozy up and not do too much. I'm, I'm really scheduled and in my maintenance of what I do and the tasks I do from the time I get up to the time I go to bed to try to avoid all that. Um, this year I did get a sun lamp. It's not the same. <laughs> at all, but I'm, I'm going to test it out and see if I'm noticing any kind of differences with that. Hopefully I will see that eating healthy in the winter months, because we all tend to slide a little bit because it's cold and we're eating all more comfort foods and things around that. So just really being on my game this year, coming from sun and going into this Oregon climate, it, um, it's been a challenge. I was actually going to ask you if you were from Texas earlier when I heard your accent. Oh, you heard an accent? I thought <laughs> it was just a little. A little bit. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I'm missing the sunshine for sure. So, you know, one of the things that I just recently did, we've had it for over a year. So my daughter was complaining the same thing. She's like, oh my goodness, if we do not see the sun soon, I'm going to scream. Like this is killing me. And we have a stand up red light big red light bulbs. And I was like, you know what? We're not seeing the sun for a while with the cold snap that we're having across this nation. So, you know, why don't you get the red light out? And so she's in there. She has it on probably four hours a day while she's in her room studying and everything just kind of over her and on her face and stuff. And it's been helping. And, you know, red light has the ability to hitch the skin on the cellular level and help to repair, you know, the different cells in the body and everything. So, even if you don't have a sunlight lamp or you find that maybe it's just not enough, I think adding something like one of the stand-up red lights and you can get different bulbs and stuff to put in it. So it's a stronger bulb um, will help as well. It certainly has helped her and she has been sleeping like a rock since she started. Using That's good it. to know because I, I definitely do that in the evening. I make my whole house pretty much red light, <laughs> um, but I haven't tried that at different times during the day. So yeah. that's interesting feedback. All right, Kathy, you have a very interesting topic to talk about today. And I know we're all 
you know, kind of itching at the door to get into this topic with you. So why don't you go ahead and Well, I was, yeah, I was scrolling through the uh, Google headlines the other day, and something that popped out to me was the, um, the new Disease X. And um, world leaders are meeting in Davos right now, and they're, one of their topics is talking about this Disease X and the concern about potential pandemics that could cause 20 times more fatalities than COVID did. So, um, you know, this, um, it's funny that the term Disease X was actually coined um, many years ago as a way to get scientists to work on countermeasures for unknown infectious diseases like COVID. And, uh, oh, it was um, added in 2018. Um, Disease X was added to a short list of pathogens deemed top priority for research alongside, alongside known killers like SARS and Ebola. And then one other thing that I pulled up alongside of this was it looks like they're still doing experiments like the Wuhan virus, you know, or the Wuhan lab. Um, I just read this article as well. Chinese scientists create a mutant coronavirus strain that attacks the brain and has a 100% kill rate in mice. They, um, they infected eight rodents with this and they all died within eight days. So this is scary. They're still experimenting. And this was just recently in Europe, they're doing this. Um, so they're still experimenting with this gain of function. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's just frightening to, to, you know, is this pre-planned? I mean, what's going on? Because I know the coronavirus, there's some evidence that they knew COVID was coming, wink, wink, wink. Right, right. And it, it is very scary. I mean, you can obviously understand from a research point of view of why you would want to study any type of new and unknown viruses and bacteria because, you know, we live in a world where, you know, hey, if, if we have strep throat, we have antibiotics now that can help treat that, right? And like, if, if you don't know, you don't know. So if you don't know what's out there that can affect the population, you can't help prepare different things like antibiotics, right? Um, and the same thing for viruses. Well, there really isn't anything pharmaceutically that can appropriately take care of viruses. There's a lot of things in nature that can. Um, and so obviously we do need to be aware of these things. Now, I will say that we breathe in thousands, hundreds of thousands of unknown bacteria and viruses in the air every single day. So there, there's never going to be a point where we know every single potential bacteria and virus we could be exposed to that could potentially kill us. But what is crazy, especially after the pandemic we just had, is that like Wuhan did, the gain of function and the gain of function testing that a lot of us are still doing, like you just pointed out, you know, they're, they're taking a mutant variant of COVID and within eight days, somebody's dead, like dead. They're like, there's nothing. That is very scary to hear. I mean, we're all hearing on the news right now and have for the last couple of months about this disease X. And there's a lot of people who have the misunderstanding that disease X is a name for another disease that they have found or created. And, and it's not, it is the potential of what the next pandemic could be. So they're literally still deciding is the word I want to use, but trying to figure out what the next pandemic potentially 
could be, right? And and how do we how do we protect people about it? Well, look how well the last one went. When you once you release a virus, whether it is lab created or nature created or not, once it's released, you have no idea what it's going to do. You have no idea how the environment out there is going to affect its growth in in being, you know, diff creating different mutant variants of it because that's what viruses do. They will constantly create new variants to protect itself. So you will never catch up with it. Um, and I think that's something that our audience needs to understand. I mean, these are, these are basics of biology that we learned in high school. And that's one of the things I think we discussed this a, a couple of months ago on one of our first podcasts is, you know, the need to um, reduce your inflammation and make sure you're in the best possible health you can be in um, so that you don't get sick. You know, so if, if you're obese, you have, you know, any type of inflammatory disease, autoimmune disease, what have you, try to start eating whole foods, get rid of the gluten. Um, you know, there's just so you, you just have to I mean, we, this is things we say over and over again, get your sleep, eat whole foods, get moving, you know, <laughs> all of these things. But I think it's really important to ask the question, what would you do if another pandemic came around? We have seen the fallout of the previous pandemic and how many lies were thrown out there and what people were fear mongered into doing and led to believe because the government has their best interest at hand. And we're clearly seeing now with research, not just hearsay, but with research that they clearly did not, they put pharma and money over the health of the American people and people worldwide because it wasn't just this country. So I ask again, what will you do if another pandemic is upon us. Are you prepared for that? What lessons did you learn from the last one and how do you move forward? And, you know, I know we've got plans to kind of talk about that and, you know, help people prepare and think about maybe some of the questions they're not asking themselves, some of the things they haven't learned from the last pandemic that they, they need to learn about. They need to think about in, in protecting themselves because this, I know for myself, I never thought we would be here. I, I never thought, like, this is something out of some weird sci-fi movie, you know? Like, this shouldn't be happening in real life, and yet it is. And the media doesn't report about a lot of this. If they do, it's fear-mongering. So how do you go in the back room, find all that information, understand the information, and, and keep track of it? Because like they did before, they're going to make a lot of information disappear, you know, um, to fit their narrative and their story. And it and has we'll nothing to do with politics. It doesn't matter what side you're on. It's happening both sides. And, and we were we were warned about it. Sorry, Bobby. Uh, we were warned about it, right? We were told another one's coming. So it's it's not if, it's it's when. When. Well, yeah. and I would, I would ask the question... And everybody can ask the question of themselves. What are you doing differently than you did pre-pandemic, right? Yes. What, what are you doing differently in your life? Not just with your health, but how connected are you are with your, with your healthy network of people? Um, how are you handling, you know, information? I know for me, 
when you guys brought up disease X, I didn't know what you're talking about. And I, I guess probably because I don't spend a ton of time. I don't really watch the public news. I don't spend a lot of time searching for the, the bad news, I would say. I just don't because I think part of it too is just I've had to really watch what comes into my nervous system having PTSD. You can go to the moon really fast, you know? Oh, and yeah. so you watch the nightly news, you think the next day you're going to wake up, the world's going to be over. And so yeah. I think what people need to do is just take a little bit of an inventory of how do I handle stress? Am I handling it differently than I did in 2020? Um, if not, then I need to get a new self-care toolbox or fill up my toolbox with things that can help me with stress. What am I? What have I changed in my life that it's improved my immune system? Do I even know what my immune system does or how to improve it? Um, how am I eating differently than I was eating four years ago? Is it worse? Is it better? Those are the questions that you need to ask yourself because those are the things you can take action on. Because where fear comes in is when you you don't have control or action actionable steps and you're, you feel like you are um, a victim or you feel like you don't have a choice. And that's really not the case when it comes to your health and your lifestyle. And I think we've got more piled up on top of that with appeal coming out with the fruits and with the fake meat. You don't know when you go to the grocery store, a lot of people don't know how to differentiate between looking at the, all the meats in say a Walmart and knowing which ones are not lab generated and which ones are actually coming from a good source. We have so much more that's happened even prior to COVID. Post COVID now, we have another set of problems on top of what we already had that we're now facing. Everything's just compounding in other words it's not going to become easier. It's going to become harder. So you're right, Bobby. Now's the time to take a hard look at your lifestyle, your choices and what you're doing. So when the next pandemic does come around, there is no fear, no matter what the media is plugging out there. There isn't fear because you're on top of your game. I think that's a good point, Tracy. And to your point, Bobby, you know, People need to ask themselves, what are my risk factors? Because ultimately that is what played a huge factor in the COVID pandemic is what were people's risk factors that they had? You know, someone can say, you know, they were a great athlete, you know, they were in shape, they were the healthiest they could be. You could be a great athlete and be a picture of health and still have tremendous inflammation running through your body, you know, um, you have asthma, you know, you have um, diabetes, even though you're in great shape, you've got diabetes, you know, you, just all of these different things. You could have genetic heart issues, right? Like all of these things, what are your risk factors and what can you do to take care of those and to minimize those? Because we saw with COVID, you know, all of the different ways that they abused the death certificates and made things look like they weren't, you know, um, just bent the rules, if you will. Um, in those cases, that was part of the fear mongering and what they put out there of how more, how much more dangerous it was because of X, Y, and Z, when most cases, it wasn't the case at all. That's just what they were putting out there. And they're still, story. they're still bending the rules with everything. Yes. Yeah, yes. They're still doing that. Uh, no, the fact that we, we have a hard time now deciphering <laughs> 
in our produce section and you really have to be adding the meat. on top of it to buy an yep. apple? I mean, really? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's where don't, we are. Don't forget yep. the crickets protein that they're putting into everything. Absolutely. Of course. They yes. Are. Yes. And your lab grown meats, because there's more and more companies come out with lab grown meat, because God forbid we have cows, you know, I mean, God created cows for a reason, you know, and all these other animals that we've been known to eat. But I mean, apparently they're just destroying the earth. So right. we have to grow meat from a Petri dish now. Right. That boggles my mind. That's definitely a topic for another episode. But, um, you know, I, I think as health coaches, we've learned to be very informed about all of these things. And like you said, Bob, you know, we don't listen a lot to the news. Like I will Google health topics, you know, and just look and see what's, what's at the top. What are people worried about? How can I speak to that? How can I educate on that? That's what a lot of us do, but I don't have the news on, you know, um, I have specific podcasts that I listen to, you know, about things that are important to me, like I'm sure a lot of you do. Um, but I keep myself out of that fear mongering for sure. Um, and that alone helps your body with doing what it needs to do. But if you're informed and you're educated and you're prepared, like you said, Tracy, there's no fear. And fear is the worst thing that can be upon you when there's something like that happening. You know, I personally, during COVID, never wore a face mask. I know a lot of you didn't either because I knew how much more detrimental it was going to be to my health to breathe in bacteria and everything from that mask on a daily basis. And I knew my body had the defense system it needed to fight off a virus or bacteria that it got. And I also know how to naturally, you know, with herbal medicine, help my body support itself in the healing process. And so these are all really, really important things to know and, and decide whether or not you want to go down those roads to keep you and your, your family safe from other things that are to come. It, don't depend on a government. My husband's in the military. You don't depend on the government for your safety, period, ever. <laughs> yeah, I'm with a mindset. I cannot help, help but think that this is a blessing and a curse because it can not only, uh, it's just bringing more people together as the a conscious awareness comes, comes into play. More people yes. are going to become aware. We're going to be stronger. So it's not, it's not something where people necessarily need to be afraid. It, yes, it's going to take work to peel back the layers and figure out how these things work in terms of what's good, what's not and everything. Um, and just, you know, just break away from cognitive dissonance, just give it a chance, work together as a people and you become that much more stronger. So, I'm with you, Jane. I think that yeah. as a whole, our population is becoming more consciously aware and mm -hmm. the best thing to have come out of the scan, oh, sorry, pandemic was to, um, was that this is happening. People are waking up to what is going on around them. And, um, we're lucky to be alive and to witness all this right now, what we're seeing. And <laughs> it's exciting. It's exciting. It time. It's nothing to have fear around. If you look at it from another perspective, it's, um, it's amazing. And it's, it's crazy because I was looking at the article that you um, were looking at Kathy and it's funny because in there, they point to, you know, disease X could be just as dangerous as, you know, the 1918 influenza. And I'm thinking, where have I heard this storyline before? Oh, wait, we just went through this with the COVID pandemic. 
So they're already trying to attach that same narrative to the next thing. And I think it's important for people to recognize those clues as we are becoming more um, awake with the information that's being fed to us and, and seeing the other side of this and understanding what actually happened. I think it's important to keep those in our minds so that we can circle back and go, wait, this is like repeat of, and I guarantee this is going to happen next and this is going to happen next. And you'll literally be able to watch it play out and at the same time you'll be prepared. All right, Tracy. So you've got another interesting topic to talk a little bit about today as well. And this is definitely up in the front of news health wise. I cannot tell you how many clients and, and people I know who have messaged me and asked me about this and driving me nuts about it. So let's talk yeah. about these new weight loss drugs and the serious side effects that are happening and kind of the mindset around people using them and everything. Well, and that's kind of what I want to just, you know, I want us to have a discussion about that today because it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's a celebrity, trendy, happening thing going on right now. And it's so easy to look, well, I'm going to give the Kardashians as an example, I mean, they kind of set the trends for what your body should look like, what your makeup should look like, what your hair should look like, all the things, right, to the masses, to our kids, to their kids. It's crazy. So if you haven't seen the Kardashians lately, I specifically around this went and took a look of the Kardashians as a whole. They look like different human beings right now than they did just a year ago. Significant amount of weight loss in all of them across the board. So there's obvious pros and cons in using, you know, these GLP-1 receptor agonists or glucagon-like peptides that semi-glutides are. Um, as I was looking for topics and, and browsing through Google the other day, just like y'all were, um, I saw something that caught my eye and it was the FDA investigating serious side effects from weight loss drugs. And I thought, wow, okay, you're just now putting this. <laughs> Why did you approve them in the first place? Hello? <laughs> what research was missing? They did, right. they, it's not approved for weight loss, though. Yeah. A lot well, of them are approved for diabetes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but you know, you're going to hear all the pros and cons on both sides of the table. And I really dug into this and I listed some podcasts with experts talking about one side or the other. And, you know, I can see the pro in having something like this for somebody who's been morbidly obese and legitimately tried and has genetic factors coming into play, all the things, right? Who's right. legitimately tried to lose weight and has not been successful. Right. As one... At, they need some sense of hope and Ozempic might be that, but the lifestyle changes always need to come hand in hand with something like this. And that's what's not happening when these doctors are prescribing um, Ozempic like it's candy and having these people, this is something you're going to have to be on the rest of your life. That's a pharmaceutical yes. that yes. you're now stuck on. And it's, from what I understand, it's very pricey. It is. And they're, like you said, they're, they're going in and investigating the side effects. I mean, I've had people who have said, you know, well, I've tried this and they, you know, they didn't have 
diabetes, but they were put on a drug like Ozempic and they're losing weight at a drastic amount. However, they have nonstop diarrhea or vomiting, you know, and simple sign of their body is not keeping any nutrition, but they think it's okay because they've lost the weight. And again, to your, to your point, Tracy, once you're off of, like, if you decide to come off of this, guess what's coming back? All of the weight, all of the issues you had before, you know? And so you have to stay on it if you want to continue that. And at some point your body's going to hit the no button and it's going to be like, I'm done. Stop. I can't take any more of this. And the lifestyle habits have to be there. I agree. If someone is 400 pounds, 300 pounds, they are having severe health effects and everything they've tried is not working. And of course, when you are that obese, the mindset is not there to take Mm -hmm. the action you need to for those steps consistently, right? So to have something like this to help them, if it is approved to be formulated and used in the right way, right? Because right now it clearly is not. Um, it's, I can, I can understand that, but lifestyle habits have to be there. Everybody is out there and it drives me insane as a health coach and as a person in general, everybody wants the freaking easy button. That's, you can't that's have everything easy. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, no, life is hard. Just accept it. Life is hard and move forward and do the hard things because it is so worth it on the other side when you do the hard things. But again, I understand there are people who you are three or 400 pounds. It's very hard to get started in doing that. But then you also have stories of people who have done it the hard way without any help and spend their support system around them. Right. So it, it's if, if the physicians were really letting them know the facts and, and spending time with them and saying, okay, we're going to put you on this, but we're also going to do a strict diet exercise regimen along with this. You're going to be in my office weekly. We're going to be checking your numbers. We're going to make sure everything's on track. Right. Lifestyle changes are going to have to be made, but that's not what's happening. And we know that's happening. There you go. There's Right. Yeah, they're still eating their they're still eating their ding dongs and their McDonald's right. and Diet Cokes, and yes. I it's funny you say that you know you heard about diarrhea. I actually heard about constipation, and peristalsis, dehydration, and it's really I mean it's really screwing up their gut. I yeah. mean not just it's not just a temporary thing. Even people after they get off of this semiglutide, they have ongoing issues. It's not just you take it and then you're, you know, you, you lose your weight and you get off right. of it and you're good. No, you're going to have ongoing gut issues and, you know, that's just gonna, health issues. It screws up your whole metabolic system, yeah. your digestion, everything. Exactly. And to be on something like this, what if you do want to go off of it one day? You can't you because can't. guess what? You're faced with a host of complications now on going off that drug. And I think we also need to consider the fact, especially if someone is young, um, we'll say in their twenties or thirties, they're still at childbearing age and they're using a drug like this to lose weight. That also has genetic effects mm-hmm. that they're going to pass on to any children they're going to have and the children that their children are going to have and on down. This is a generational trauma 
in the genetics that is going to be happening that's not being thought about. And because it's new, hasn't been tested, hasn't been researched that far in advance. And we see that with a lot of pharmaceutical medications um, in the past, how they have affected um, kids genetically. Take, for instance, Ritalin. You know, that can be, that can change genetics, your epigenetics, and can affect the children that you have. I'm living proof of that. You know, um, even, you know, people who are in Vietnam exposed to Agent Orange, it's a chemical, right? Um, you have glyphosate that's spread all over our fields. Same thing. There's no difference between the two there, you know, and how they're affecting genetics and the, the generations that those genetics are going to be changing people and changing their what happens with their lifestyle and their brain, you know, their hearts, their livers, their, their vascular system. You know. The exercise piece to this, they're losing muscle mass. I don't know if you've heard the term ozempic face. Mm -hmm. That's muscle mass. And, you know, Bobby was talking about exercising in the brain in an earlier segment. Imagine <laughs> the long-term effects of this. We are supposed to be building muscle mass as we age. And right. we're looking at people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond now getting on to of these weight loss drugs. That's well, even further. And the side effects are very similar to like wasting disease. Mm -hmm. Yes. So well, essentially that's what we're seeing. To speak to that, you know, they don't really know the long-term effects. They haven't done a 20 year, you know, mm -hmm. study on what happens to someone who's been on this for a very long time. You know, there's liver, liver issues. I mean, your liver can't, can't lose that amount of weight that fast and not have issues. Um, yep. You know, and, and when you lose muscle, you're losing bone mass. You're losing, you're losing a lot of things when you're having diarrhea consistently, you're not able to, you know, your nutritional makeup after that, or while you're on it can, you know, those things really can give you a back end slap later on in your life. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Even the constipation, like right? That. Because yeah. everything's sitting and fermenting and toxins are consistently flowing through your body because they can't be released through your bowels. I just a little a little fun fact here because we can always follow the money with big pharma, right? And anything that's that's hot out there on the market. Um, so looking at some of the raw economic incentives around this, the parent company company of Ozempic for the past several years have paid. 30 million a year in direct consulting fees to obesity doctors. So they have wow. a full hold on the obesity market. So, wow. so this is your answer mm -hmm. right there and summed up. Follow the money. Follow the follow money. The money. There I mean, that's, that's the big pharma all over the place, right? Like just follow the money. And you know, a lot of, this craze came out of somebody who may have been put on this medication for like diabetes and because they couldn't control their diabetes a lot of times because they can't control what they're eating, right? Um, they don't want to do the lifestyle habit changes. They just want the quick fix. And so they lost 30 pounds in a couple mm -hmm. of months. And let's their co-workers noticed, their family noticed, 
who struggle with the same thing and say, oh, well, my doctor put me on this on this medication. And then what do they do? They go to their doctor and they say, hey, I'm noticing this. A friend of mine has taken this medication. She lost 30 pounds. I'm struggling to gain weight. You know, and of course, the doctor has to believe whatever it is that you tell them. If you're not honest with the doctor, right? Like they don't know any different. They don't follow you around. And so that just continually multiplied and multiplied. And now literally less than a year, this is where we're at. Yeah. Weight loss clinics are are promoting this left and right. You know, you can go on your Groupon and get a discount to go get this, you know, treatment. Again, they put the money first. Look at all the telemedicine popping up now, just around this. Just yes. to get a prescription for Ozempic or Wegovy or one of the uh, GLP-1 receptors. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's scary. It's concerning. Um, personally, let me just share a quick little tidbit. I was around somebody close in my life that was on this drug. So I saw the effects it was having firsthand. And what I witnessed was was just scary. There's no other word for it. She would take two bites of food and literally say she was full, put down her fork, walk away. An hour later, she would feel nauseous. She would wake up in the morning feeling so nauseous that she couldn't go to work. That kind of nausea, not eating the right kinds of foods. Your protein intake needs to be higher. Your healthy fat intake needs to be higher. People that are getting prescribed these these drugs are not being told all the damaging side effects that are going to be occurring with their bodies. And they, they're being told, oh, well, that's just, oh, the nausea, that'll go away in a month or so. You'll be okay. Will it though? Because in another seven months, guess what? She had it again. Yeah, it got a little bit better for a while, but it came right back. And you have to have to constantly up your dosage. And you're going once a week to get these injections. I've heard some people now can do them themselves at home. I think yeah, it's crazy. It, it is crazy. And it hurts my soul mm-hmm. to watch people do things like that, to not listen to their natural God given universal given, however you want to look at it instincts to nurture your body. You know, I mean, I've had two, two or three clients ask me about these things. What are your thoughts on, you know, do you have any research? And instantly it was like, don't do it. Like, even though I'm teaching you the lifestyle habits and and I'm teaching you how to eat properly, don't do it because they don't know the long-term side effects, you know? And, you know, they, in my opinion, weren't obese enough to add that into, you know, um, a protocol, you know? Um, they only had, you know, 20 or 30 pounds to lose. It's, it's just, it's not worth it to me. I mean, I'm, I'm an herbalist <laughs> with Jane, you know, and like we, we are very connected to our bodies and know what our bodies can do by design. And it's just, that's why I'm so passionate about teaching people about it. Like you do so much damage with what's being output out there on the market. And, and it is all a money game. The number one thing that anything in the pharmaceutical company and most of the conventional medicine world is all about money. It's so easy to do that, right? Just follow the research. If you're not going to do anything else, just spend a little bit of time researching that piece of it. How are these studies funded? Who's sitting on the boards? 
what's going on? Dig deep to find some answers to these questions, because I guarantee if you follow the money, you're going to find the answers. It's like following the money on cancer, right? And chemotherapy. I've heard so many horror stories in my last 15 years of dealing with health that oncologists have literally diagnosed people wrong so that they can get them on chemotherapy. Right. Because they get huge, huge. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of bonuses for each person that they put through chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. I would, if I ever got diagnosed with cancer, I would do a second and third opinion before I ever decided and to I, do one I don't thing. blame you. Yes. I personally mm-hmm. wouldn't even be treated in this country. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. so I told my husband, don't you dare. You. Yeah, if I'm in an, an oncologist office and they diagnose me with cancer, I will get a second and third opinion, but don't you dare ever agree that a doctor will treat me here in this country. Oh. Not, a, not an allopathic doctor, but there are plenty of people who can help you alternative alternative doctors here in the u.s there are yes, alternative very doctors. far and few between but <laughs> I, have you know, I have a handful <laughs> mexico yeah, we'll have to do an episode on that one oh <laughs> anyway you said it well shannon it just it hurts my soul so i just really want people to be so super cautious because this is so trendy right now and it's such an easy way to lose 30 40 60 pounds, but you're going to pay the cost in the long run, right? Pay now or pay later, your choice. Um, And do your research, please. Real quick. I just want to say thanks to Shannon. And we, I think we, a lot of us are on this, have this program available. I've lost 30 pounds in the last four months. It is not impossible. It is not not. impossible. It's not, Um, you know, finding the right health practitioner or health coach to work with you that has, you know, proven programs to help literally the programs that we have are teaching you how to eat for your bio individual self, what you personally need, not what everybody else, like, you know, other quote unquote diets out there fit everybody all into one box, right? Like that's not what we focus on. We focus on teaching people to eat for what they personally need, teaching people those lifestyle habits that they need to personally make for themselves, right? A health coach can be so, so, so beneficial when you connect with the right one, you know? Um, Yes, we we take the time to walk you through those simple steps to get started. We don't throw anything heavy at you. You can, you know, you make your plans. We help guide you through it. It's not something that's overwhelming. We just... That's what's good about us. We take the time to understand what's going on for you and to tailor the program to you and just take those small steps that build on each other. So, and, and all of us have been there and done that. So we, we're right. coming from experience. Yes. Absolutely. Just, yeah. I want to add in too. It's, it's very sustainable. I mean, all through the holidays, we're, we're, we're recording this in mid January. I just had my birthday as well. So, I mean, it's been from Thanksgiving, you know, till just last week that, you know, it's been like, let's go here. Let's go out. Let's, you know, all the, all the cakes and whatever, you know, all the things that I wasn't eating and I have maintained my, my weight, no changes, even through the holidays. With no stress. So you're not stressed out about it. You're not constantly exactly. thinking about it. You're not beating yourself out about, about different things. All right, ladies. Well, I think that was a fantastic episode. Um, I encourage all of our listeners 
get involved in the conversation, get a hold of us on our social media, email us, reach out to us on our websites. All that information is in the show notes below. Um, so just let us know your thoughts. Also, you know, leave reviews. That's how this podcast gets seen is you guys leaving reviews and commenting, um, giving us ratings and sharing um, these podcast episodes with those you love or who you think need to hear them as well. So with that being said, um, you know, we always like to do a North Star tip. And I think with this episode, it really is don't take things at their face value. Dig in a little deeper and ask some questions, bring those critical thinking skills to the front. You know, like they say, don't judge a book by its cover, you know, and a lot of things today, unfortunately, you, you can't judge a book by its cover at all, right? You have to dig in deeper. You have to open that book. You have to read through it a little bit um, and, and see what's really on the inside of that. So that is our tip for today's episode. And I hope you all stay warm wherever you are, that you have some sun available to you. Um, and Kathy said we're recording this in the middle of January, and it'll be out in the next few weeks. So hopefully there's more sun at that point. We wish you all to uh, be well, and we look forward to talking with you on the next episode. Have a great day, everyone.